welcome and salutations to Den of Utaku, Den of Geek's official anime discussion series, where we talk about all things anime, Japanese pop culture, and just basically all the biggest developments that are going on in the industry. I am your host, Daniel Kurland, and in this episode, we're going to be talking about death and rebirth, whether that means remakes, uh, futuristic genre reinventions, or just finding storytelling inspiration outside of Japan. We've also got an interview set up with the cast of Metallic Rouge and new editions of The Big Three and Release the Hound. So if you ask me, that is a packed episode. Bring out the elephants because we are packy dermed over here. All right, so death and rebirth, what does that mean exactly? And, you know, maybe you're thinking, are you talking about the Neon Genesis Evangelion film, Death and Rebirth? I am not talking about that. I'd love to talk about that. If you see me on the street, let's talk about that. But in this episode, we're specifically talking about how that kind of theme is related to anime as a whole. So let's start off by talking about remakes. Remakes are nothing new right now. You know, there's a lot of remakes going on in pop culture in general, but also remakes are having a bit of a renaissance in anime at the moment. You know, there's shows like Trigon Stampede, uh, the new Ruroni Kenshin, Yuritsai Yatsura, Shaman King Flowers. These are all remakes that are going on at the moment that are pretty popular, but there's a bit of controversy going around a new remake that was just announced the One Piece. Now, the One Piece is going to be a remake of One Piece. And what's so interesting about this is normally when a remake goes on, it happens years or even decades after the original series. So, you know, the audience can kind of get some breathing room. The production can kind of figure out what didn't work the first time around. But the One Piece is going to air concurrently with the original One Piece. And that's not usually how things go. And some people think that's a little disrespectful to the original series to have both of these kind of dueling One Piece productions going on at the same time. Now, the One Piece is being done by Wit Studio, who are great people. You know, they do beautiful work. They did the first three seasons of Attack on Titan. They did The Great Pretender. And what's going on with this remake that they're doing is it's going to be a reproduction of One Piece's East Blue Saga, which is their introductory episodes. And the One Piece has already done a bunch of takes on this. You know, there's the original anime version, there's the manga version, there's a movie version of East Blue, and there's even been the recent live-action Netflix adaptation, which does East Blue. So this will be the fifth version of that story, which some people are like, why do we need to be doing this again? Isn't there better things that we could be spending budget and time and production on? And I think a lot of this has to do with the live-action One Piece, that Netflix is producing the One Piece, and Clearly, they're just trying to play into this success that they're having to get more bang for their buck and to get as much as they can out of this property. But the dangers of doing something like that is if you just get too much One Piece going on at once, you can kind of overwhelm the audience. You can burn people out. And that's not always the best approach. You know, more of something isn't always a good thing. And, you know, there are some anime remakes that are kind of the... the pinnacle of what you can do with this. There's uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and Hunter x Hunter, and these are great remakes because they took the time to kind of see what didn't work in the original and really do the source material justice. And the inverse of that is you have remakes like Dragon Ball Z Kai and Sailor Moon Crystal. These are remakes that, you know, try to stick closer to the original manga version. 
Dragon Ball Z and Sailor Moon, they both have a lot of filler, which is like anime original content that wasn't part of the original story. These remakes get rid of that. They try to stick closer to the original manga designs. But what's interesting is these shows aren't as popular because people have kind of realized that that filler, even though it's irrelevant on some level, is kind of what gave these shows their personality and voice in the first place. And those might not be the episodes that people always rewatch, but they really help build the voice for those shows. So Dragon Ball Z Kai and Sailor Moon Crystal kind of just seem more dead you know they don't have the same energy and enthusiasm and ironically enough one piece is a show that's dense and filler it would make a lot of sense to do a more condensed version of it but east blue is not the way to go with that you know there's not a ton of filler in east blue and it's not what makes the most sense another reason that this remake is kind of ruffling feathers is there are shows that could genuinely benefit from an anime remake there's shows like berserk the promised neverland uh, flame of Rekka, yu yu hakusho these are anime that aren't exactly bad but they don't do their source material manga justice and if people just watch the anime they might not have the best representation of what the show is really doing these are shows that deserve another chance and could actually do more with that opportunity than what's going on with One Piece now. So it should be very interesting to see how the One Piece is received. Maybe it'll surpass expectations and really become a new trend. But as it stands, people are kind of reluctant to get on board with this and we'll continue to cover details about it as more come out. But at the moment, it's interesting to see how all of this One Piece love is kind of turning against the fandom and ruffling feathers in a way that people might not have expected. Now, another area of death and rebirth we'd like to focus on is just the manhwa craze that's happening right now. What is manhwa? Well, manga is Japanese comic books, essentially. You have a lot of anime that adapt manga and that's where they get their story from. Manwa is the South Korean version of this. So you have South Korean comics, webtoons, webcomics, and this is nothing new necessarily, but Manwa has as big of an audience as manga does, and just it doesn't necessarily have the same international audience. So Crunchyroll has kind of taken strides to bring Manwa to the people with their anime adaptations of shows like Tower of God, God of High School, and most recently Solo Leveling. This is a new show that's kind of become one of the biggest anime of 2024 so far, and it's really opening people's eyes to what Manwa can do. So what's so interesting about Solo Leveling is that it's set in a world where dungeons have kind of become all over the place dungeons appear in the world there's like a hierarchy of hunters you have a rank hunters that are at the top of the top and then you have e rank hunters that are at the bottom basically they go to these dungeons they fight monsters they get resources that help society and then they also kind of make some money for themselves so it's like this gig economy approach to dungeon hunting and that itself isn't necessarily a new idea but what solo leveling does is its main character sung jin woo is an e rank hunter he's kind of dead weight to his party the anime sets up all these characters that seem like the leads they seem like they're going to be really important people only for all of them to get massacred in the first two episodes and all you're left with is sung jin woo so he gets put on this unique path where he can kind of do solo missions to increase his power and potentially become like the best hunter there is but what's so cool about solo leveling is it sets up these archetypes that you kind of expect how they're going to play out only to completely subvert them and do new things with them 
and show you that there is more to this genre than you might expect. And a lot of that has to do with Manwa's differences from manga and how they can take a similar premise but use their culture to do something totally different with it. So solo leveling seems like it's going to be one of 2024's biggest anime, but at the same time, it will hopefully bring more attention to just Manwa in general. If you're liking solo leveling, check out what Manwa has to offer, even if you're not watching solo leveling. Just give this whole kind of culture a shot. You know, there are some live action Netflix shows like Kingdom and Sweet Home. Those are based on Manwa. So there's more of a push for that. And it should be interesting to see if the success of solo leveling causes other anime studios to turn to Manwa for inspiration. We might be seeing a lot more of that rather than just the same adaptations of manga happening again and again. This is a whole new field that we can turn to for story and it's an exciting rebirth of what's going on with these stories. So I think that's really cool and we'll see what continues to come of it. Another death and rebirth kind of idea that seems like something relevant to break down in the moment is a new show called Metallic Rouge. Metallic Rouge is made by Studio Bones. Uh, Studio Bones does great work. They did Space Dandy, Mob Psycho 100, um, My Hero Academia. And what's interesting about Metallic Rouge is it's kind of being treated as their 25th anniversary production. And rather than just doing a remake of one of their old shows or, you know, a sequel to an old show, they've created this new entity that kind of synthesizes 25 years worth of storytelling into a whole new product. So on its surface level, Metallic Rouge is a sci-fi and mecha show, but it kind of rebirths that area and does something really different with it. The show is set in the future on Mars. It follows Rouge, an android, and her partner Naomi, who have kind of been tasked to hunt down other artificial humans called the Immortal Nine, who are a threat to the government. So you have a bit of a Blade Runner aesthetic to it where androids exist. People don't exactly know if they should trust them, if they're good for society, if they're bad. But at the same time, Metallic Rouge, in addition to just being like sci-fi and mecha, you have a mystery component going on. There's crime. There's a buddy cop dynamic between Rouge and Naomi. It's very rare to see two female characters as the leads in a mecha show. So that's like an exciting development going on here, too. The mecha combat itself is so different and unusual. Each Immortal Nine has a very different design and fighting style. So that kind of translates to really different combat that's just fun to watch. But the thing that really struck me the most with Metallic Rouge is just its approach to world building. Like it's set in the future and you have a lot of stuff that is futuristic, but there's also stuff that's clearly still stuck in the past. And like the cars in this show aren't like flying cars. They're very retro cars. And it's always interesting to me when a show from the future can kind of remix the past and the future to give us a new representation of what society might look like. It does this really well with music. Like the music that is used in this show truly feels like it's music from the future. And what I mean by that is like, it's not just music that sounds futuristic, but it has almost gotten to the psychology behind music. Like it uses instruments that we don't use a ton of now, but seem like we might be in like 
two or three decades. There's motifs in the music that, again, might seem kind of irregular now, but feel like the evolution of where our current music is heading. And to me, that's just so cool that it truly sounds like music from the future and it uses visuals and like an oral soundscape to reflect world building in a way that's just really different, exciting. And that's not the point of the show, but like it really just fleshes its world out in a way that's different, fun, and shows you how irregular a sci-fi and mecha show can be, that they're not forced to just give you the same thing again and again. And to kind of further celebrate Metallic Rouge is we have a very exciting interview here with the main cast of the show. We have Mike McFarlane, the voice director, Monica Flatley, who voices Rouge, and Cassie Awulu, who voices Naomi. So they are excited to talk to us about just why Metallic Rouge is different, what it's doing that's special, and why this should be one of the bigger shows of 2024. So fellow otaku, let's go to the interview. First of all, guys, like, Metallic Rouge, I really loved. It's been one of my favorite anime of the season so far. And just Studio Bones in general, I think, does such amazing work. All their shows are so beautifully animated. Was it exciting to be a part of the show that kind of is its 25th anniversary celebration and to, like, just be a part of that? Yeah, like, for me, like, I've been a fan of Full Metal Alchemist since, like, the 2003 days. And, uh, you know, when I first saw the trailer for Metallic Rouge and saw that it was like to celebrate Bones' 25th anniversary, I was just like, okay, this may go under the radar, but I hope it doesn't. That like Crunchy picks it up because I would love to like, you know, at least like audition for this. So, you know, I'm glad I got to be part of this. (laughs) It's exactly what I wanted for the season. No, literally same. And then uh, what their last anniversary uh, piece, I think, was Carolyn Tuesday, which I've like been obsessed with and uh, I was honestly really sad that it didn't get as like a lot of hype so I'm really excited that this one seems to be like a little bit more noticed at least for now (laughs) Mm -hmm. and uh I'm stoked I'm stoked I got to to work on it I uh I worked on a few bones things uh, in the past um and uh it's cool to be part of the anniversary and I also just uh love this particular genre so it's a double whammy of cool I love that is it like i love that this is kind of an anime original there's no source material or manga to go off of does that make it harder at all to prepare for a show when you don't have something else to refer to it can uh luckily i have you know i have access to some things um but that is not uh, access by the public but um it's definitely not something that i'm like oh i can just read the complete story on the manga or whatever else beforehand yeah, it makes it to where I have more info off of a page rather than info off of a well, a page. Uh, info without illustrations, info without anything else to go along with it where I'm p- piecing things together in my head. Does that, like kind of going off of that too, is it helpful or stressful when, like I, I know you know a few things that are coming up, but to kind of be feeling your way through it as the show goes along, like what kind of... Uh energy does that give you i feel like um in instances like this as long as i'm true to the material of what i see on screen and true to what's being said and uh try to stick with that um not make any assumptions not try to you know like well it's vague so let's try to pick something and and make the answer for that no let's leave it vague if i try to keep the mystery that uh and answer things along with the same way that it's being presented to me and just go along with that. 
even if I'm not as 100% certain as I would be if there were 100 chapters of manga, I still feel like as we go, it's all going to work out great. Plus, you know, once again, I do have access to some things. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I was so excited to hear that this show is getting like a simul dub release, that it was like, you know, worthy of that. And does that just put any greater pressure or challenge on the production, knowing that it's coming out faster than sometimes a dub can be produced? Not necessarily. I don't think that it does. Uh, I think there is a, a mindset of like a simul dub somehow records in less time or we rush through it or anything like that. It's really not. Uh, it's like, if the amount of lines you have and the um, the story that you have would take like 18 hours to record, uh, you know, if we, if we map everything out and this many lines, this many reactions, and this is how many reactors we need, uh, we don't go faster than the 18. It's just that the 18 is all at once and on the calendar. Um, so we don't move faster or anything like that. Uh, I think the interesting thing with this particular thing was we had some access to it uh, to start recording sometime in December-ish, but then we like got got started and then there was a break and then we picked it back up. So it's not like, um, uh, you know, if it goes up every Wednesday, like Tuesday night, woof, we hit the finish line. It's it's nothing that's that level of tight. No. <laughs> Something else that really stands out to me about the show is just like, it does such a fun, creative job with its world building. Like it's futuristic presentation of Mars is really cool. Can you just talk a little about the universe and like what makes this show so special as opposed to other shows set in the future? I'll let the cast go first. I've been answering everything. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, you know what? This is like a lot of people have said like, oh, this like reminds me of like, you know, like a Blade Runner style type thing. But like when I, I like comparing it to like the old school shows like Outlaw Star and like Cowboy Bebop, just like I guess you would say like slice of life on space. Just like, you know, you've got like a team here and they're just doing like all this like weird stuff. Um, it kind of brought me back to like those times like back in the like early 2000s late 90s um i don't know where this is gonna go but you know i'm excited to like be part of this journey with the character and like you know monica's character rouge and like everyone else just to see like what happens no yeah i totally agree like it's it's really cool seeing how it seems to pay homage to like older shows, um, but also it does bring like this new fresh vibe as well, which I really like. Um, and the characters are a ton of fun, like Cassie said. Um, also, it's just it's a really interesting plot because, yeah, it does have like the Blade Runner vibes, but I feel like it's taking some different directions. Obviously, you know, it's anime, um, but it's it's really cool and it's really exciting and it's so inc like incredible to be a part of it. No, yeah, one of the first things that I really identified with is that it does kind of harken back to older series. You have like this really fun kind of buddy cop dynamic between both of your characters. And it's just like a nice change of pace to have two female leads in a show like this. Like, I feel like that doesn't necessarily yeah. happen very often. Um, can you just, everyone kind of like talk a little on the casting process, like bringing these characters to life and just finding like the right chemistry between Rouge and Naomi? Oh man, I think like <laughs> I think with Monica, like we only had the trailer to go off of. So. <laughs> yeah, <we really laughs> but did. I remember like just watching it like one day, like when the trailer first came out, and I was just like, 
oh, Naomi's got like, she's sassy and she's like a brainiac. And I like love the, the, those character types. And I was just like, well, I hope like, you know, if Crunchyroll picks this up, like I, I'll audition for her and I hope I get to be part of it. And, you know, auditions came out. I auditioned and set it out and I got the email that I got cast. And I was just like, yep, that's all I need. Like, you know, I <laughs> know exactly what this character is about. Like, and you know, so far, I feel like I've been kind of like right on the nose with like how she is just uh, all business, all like smart, sassy and just like doesn't really care about anything else outside of that. You can call me Naomi Orthman. It's nice to finally see the person's face I've been supporting lately. I appreciate your support. As for what you can call me. I know. Thanks, I think. No, you've been doing like incredibly. Um, so yeah, we uh, we got auditions for it. Um, and I remember I actually hadn't seen anything about the show until we got the auditions. So like there was a trailer linked in it. So I went and I watched it and I was like, is there anything else? This is not much to go off of. Um, and then I, I think I found like one or two other ones. And I was like, okay, so Rouge is basically like, kind of a teenager but kind of a child let's just uh let she's kind of she seems she seemed like you know she's kind of spacey ish but she's still i don't know so like i read the i like i read the script that they put in the audition and i was like let's just be how we were when we were in middle school and um <laughs> so that really helped out and then being able to feed off of um cassie as uh naomi has always been like really 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 great it's she just makes it so easy. <laughs> Sam, you've been, you sound so adorable. Oh, it's rude. You. <laughs> you two sound great. It's so fun working with you on this. Ah, thank you. Oh, this, yeah, this is A one blast of my favorite things. Yeah. Yeah, same. <laughs> it's so funny to hear that. Like, I, I feel like you guys had the same reaction that a lot of the fans did. That just like, I remember watching the trailer too and being like, is there more of this? I need more. Like, what else is happening? So that's. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's so cool to be able to build something off of just that tiny piece of what is going on here. It's just kind of nice when you're just working off of something that like has no background or anything. It's just like, oh, you're free to like kind of do whatever you want within like, you know, the limits of like what the animation is showing yeah. you. But yeah, it's just like, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's just been a joy working on this. Yes, I was so nervous about that, honestly, because uh, <laughs> I even told Mike, I was like, I usually like to cheat before I have a session, like by watching the episode or reading the manga. And uh, so that was something that I was scared about, but it ended up, uh, it's great. I'm enjoying the process a lot. I love that. Um, kind of just building on like the mystery of the show. I love that there's this whole like Immortal Nine aspect that's coursing through the series. And it's really cool to see more of that as the show goes along. Does that make it a challenge at all in terms of directing or delivering lines since some characters like might be lying or there's subtext to what's going on that we don't fully know about yet or you might not even fully be aware of? Um, I point out from time to time when I'm like, this is the info that's being uh, received uh, or this is what's being said. It may not be 100% truthful, but you have to present it as truthful when you're presenting it. Otherwise, why say a completely obvious lie? Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I keep those things in mind, uh, but the cast is really intuitive and they hear what the say is doing. They see what's on screen and I just uh, guide them along a little bit. They're doing great. Yeah, Mike has all the answers, honestly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just do what Mike says. 
Um, the music too in this show is really like out of this world and something I've really loved. It like has elements of the past, but it really feels like music that you'd be getting from the future. Like there's, it does a really good job, I think, of jumping decades ahead or kind of dealing with um, just what sound might sound like in the future. And I don't know, is that something that you latched onto? Is it something that you noticed? It, I, I just love it so much. I think the soundtrack's fun. Uh, I think, yeah, the the score portion of it uh, and the sound effects are really cool. Uh, I think they have a cool, as as the show itself does, kind of a retro slash future sort of vibe to it. It's a combination of several things. I also like the the opener, the closer. I love it that we went, we know that the the moment has arrived for fighting when it's time to fight. It's so fun. <laughs> He starts singing it during sessions. Yeah, he does. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great um, song. It just plays oh, like so good. Just like, oh, okay, you know, like fights about to happen. Yeah. Let's go. Just, just, Things like, are about to get intense. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I love Not it. Not only is it is the music cute, it straight up tells you like this is it. <laughs> We're gonna fight. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> You would mention before kind of how many different genres this show toes it, the line with. And like, it's definitely mecha and sci-fi, but you have like a lot of crime, mystery and other stuff going on too. Does that play a factor at all when you're directing or delivering lines? Um, as as uh, as the, the voice director, I, I do keep each character in mind and who they kind of are in the chessboard of the story, what, which each character's responsibility and job is. And there are uh, multiple genre mixes in, you know, noir, sci-fi. There's, you know, there's a heavy, as if people have mentioned Blade Runner, yeah, there's a, there's a, heavy, a, a heavy Philip K. Dick uh, influence on some of the choices of uh, the content, uh, the Asimov code, things like that. There, it's interesting to be able to have such a neat uh, range of specific character types that all fit within one universe. And uh, yeah, I do try to keep that in mind, but once again, everyone's rocking it. So I don't have to like, no, hey, you're doing the entire thing wrong. It's, <laughs> ne it's never that, so. Yeah, it's just, uh, I don't really think about those types of things. Cause you know, this is like a new show and everyone's just kind of like being their own thing, but like, you know, you only get to see like, like I only get to see what Naomi does, you know, and maybe like you, she'll be like interacting with a few other characters, but um. It's interesting to see like how everything comes together. Like once the episode comes out, and you're just like, oh wow, that all like really worked very well together. I thought maybe at first I had gone like a little overboard with Naomi, but that's just kind of what felt natural to me and like what I felt that that's just her, you know. But like once like, the first episode came out, I was just like, oh wow, that worked out like very well. <laughs> Um, and kind of just lastly, guys, uh, Rouge has like a real sweet tooth for chocolate, which I think is such a fun part of the show. What are all of your favorite chocolate bars, candies? What are your vices there? <laughs> My favorite chocolate bar, like as far as over the counter, it's it went through a period of many years of being extremely difficult to find. And now every so often I find the king size of it. It's a Reese's Nut Rages. Um, Huh. Uh, which is, it's kind of like uh, a Snickers, but you replace the caramel with the Reese's peanut butter. Mm. It's pretty good. Um, and as far as like other chocolate, I just got back from uh, Europe and I 
had a taste of, I think it was either in Prague or Germany, some little cocoa things that are about the size of a, like a mini Reese's peanut butter cup, but you put them on your tongue and rather than chew them, you're supposed to let them like dissolve. That stuff is great. It begins with a G <laughs> and I can't remember what it is. And even if I did remember it's, uh, I probably would pronounce it incorrectly, but it's so, so, so good. <laughs> that sounds really good. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> for me, uh, I like super, like, I guess like more than just chocolate. So like whatchamacallit's like Heath bars, like it's gotta have like toffee or like some sort of like almond or walnut or something. Um, just cause I like that extra bit of crunch. Um, but I do also love chocolate. So probably a whatchamacallit or a Heath bar. <laughs> Um, for me, it's this German chocolate. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I, I it's like Lederach or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. But they're usually like a, they make these uh, chocolate barks. Um, so like they're pretty much just slabs of chocolate and you could, they could put like anything like nuts, raisins or whatever in there. But this particular one is like very, very good. I ate like something from their brands over the summer last year. It was just very good. It was just like this, it's not chocolate, but it was a strawberry milk, uh, strawberry milk chocolate, white chocolate with like these nice strawberry, dried strawberries in there. And it was just like really nice. And they also had like this milk chocolate with like cereal bits inside of it. And it was like so good. I'm going to bring some over actually. I'm going to buy Yeah, it sounds great. Too. Sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I love that. I'm big on Reese's too. So I get all that. Um, but yeah. Um, thanks so much, guys. That's all I've got. But um, I've loved what I've seen of the show. I can't wait to see where it's going. And you're just all doing great jobs with it. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. Thank you cool. so much for having us, Dan. Thank you very much. Of course. <laughs> Wasn't that so cool, guys? I, I, I mean, I told you Metallic Rouge is an exciting show, but hopefully after hearing them talk about it, you can kind of see why it's positioned to be one of 2024's biggest hits. And just once again, thank you to Mike McFarland, Monica Flatley, and Cassie Awulu. And if I'm not mistaken, yeah, I think, do you hear that? Do you hear that? That's the sound of another edition of Release the Hounds. Okay, guys, we got another Release the Hounds for you. And if this is your first End of Otaku episode and you don't know what Release the Hounds is all about, this is our physical media segment. Physical media, remember that? Before streaming and algorithms and Zaslavs, physical media is still really important when it comes to anime. There are some shows that you can only see them in physical media. They're out of print otherwise. And in this segment, we'll kind of just highlight some new releases for you that seem like they're worth your time. So the first title we have is Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean Part 1. That releases on January 23rd, and it collects the first 18 episodes of the 48-episode show. What's so cool about Jojo, it's one of my favorite anime. It's just so weird and unabashedly itself. It's different from other shonen series like Dragon Ball, Naruto, Bleach, One Piece, because it takes like a generational approach to its storytelling. It, rather than just one character, it kind of focuses on a special bloodline, the Joestars, and each series looks at a different descendant of that bloodline, and it'll be set wildly in different parts of the world. You know, you have a season in Japan, there's one in Egypt, England, Italy. Stone Ocean is set in Florida, so it's really cool to kind of see JoJo's interpretation of America. 
And Stone Ocean is also the only JoJo series that has a female protagonist, Jolene Cujo, who is Jotaro Cujo's daughter. And it's just cool to have a shonen series with a female lead that doesn't happen very often. So Stone Ocean, Jolene is wrongfully accused and ends up in prison. A lot of the show is figuring out who has sent her to prison, why she's there, who she can trust in the prison, and how she can get out. Meanwhile, they're kind of darker forces from the franchise that are building to this apocalyptic event that she has to kind of prevent. It's a really cool show. The battles in JoJo are done with these like energy avatars called stands. Each of them are very different and kind of have like very creative outside of the box combat. So you have fights that are unlike anything else you've seen before. And it's just such a different show. It has such a fun art design. The characters have like really weird outfits. They pose all the time and like it's, it's just fun any way you look at it. And this box set that's being released for the first part of Stone Ocean also comes with a 48-page booklet. So there's, like, some really fun extra goodies there. You're not just getting the episodes, but, like, something to actually reward you for picking up the physical media. So that's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean. Another title we'd like to highlight in Release the Hounds is Razaphon. Razaphon is a mecha series from the early 2000s. There's a lot of, like, disposable mecha series from the early 2000s that all look the same. They feel kind of soulless, and it's easy to just write all that stuff off. And Razaphon kind of gets lumped in with that, but it's very different. I first learned about it as a teenager as, like, a counterpoint to Neon Genesis Evangelion. And uh, it's a mecha show that's about existentialism. It's about depression. It has a character who kind of has to conquer his own inner demons before he can save the world. So if you really like Evangelion, but maybe it was like too esoteric and surreal for you, Razaphon is a little more toned down and easier to tolerate. But also like if you like Evangelion and are looking for something similar to it, Razaphon hits those same notes too. What's interesting is it's another Studio Bone show. So Metallic Rouge, which we were talking about, feels kind of like the evolution of Razaphon in some ways. So it seemed appropriate to kind of look back on what Studio Bones was doing with Mecha in comparison to what they're now doing with Mecha. This box set, it collects the entire series, but also the show's movie, so all Razaphon is included here. You're not losing anything. It has some really cool special features as well, like it has interviews with the cast. You get some interesting insight on the production. Music is such a cool part of this show. I don't just mean like the soundtrack, but characters actually use music and artistic expression as a means of combat, which is something really unique that you don't see a lot in mecha shows, but it just adds this other quality to it that makes it more than just robots fighting each other. There's like a real heart and soul to Razaphon that's really special. And I feel not enough people know about it. Now's the perfect time with Metallic Rouge out. So Razaphon, the complete series and movie, that's being released January 23rd too. And the final show for Release the Hounds is Bochi the Rock that releases on January 30th. It's the complete series. One of the more popular genres that's come out of anime recently are shows about introverts where these characters don't feel like they know how to express themselves or make their way in the world, but what they do get is music. They like music, they like playing music, they like forming an affinity through a band, and Bochi the Rock does this so, so 
well. On its surface level, it's not doing anything special. It's just about a group of girls who form a band together, learn how to play music, and just express themselves. But it's so beautiful. Like, the characters really feel real. Uh, the emotions are so palpable. Like, I've laughed a lot during this show. I've cried a lot during this show. It wasn't something that I expected to grab me so much, but each week I was actively looking forward to it and... I go so far as to say it was my favorite anime out of 2023 that was an original series, not a returning series. But Bochi the Rock is just so different, it's interesting, and even if you don't like anime, I think this would be a good gift for someone who plays in a band or is big on music, and even if you do like anime, it's just a good gift for yourself. So Bochi the Rock has been available on Crunchyroll, but this is its first physical media release. It's never looked better than on this Blu-ray set, so... Yeah, Bochi the Rock. So to sum that up once more, for Release the Hounds, we have JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stone Ocean Part 1, we have Razaphon, and we have Bochi the Rock. If I'm not mistaken, I, I do believe it's now time to mosey over to the Big Three Corner. Big Three time, guys. What is the Big Three? Well, Big Three is Denovutaku's segment about just what's going on in the world of anime there's so much anime out there that it's easy for titles to slip through the cracks it's easy for stuff to get lost in the big three we just highlight three titles whether they're old or new that are worthy of some attention and might not otherwise be highlighted in this series the three shows we have for the big three this time are all current shows that are airing so you can check them out right now you don't have to hunt them down or figure out where these shows are available all these shows are very easy to find so The first show for the big three is Delicious in Dungeon. What Delicious in Dungeon does is it takes two popular genres, kind of the RPG dungeon crawling aesthetic and cooking shows and combines them together. It has a bunch of people that resemble like a typical Dungeons and Dragons party who get stranded in a dungeon, they don't have any food, and all they can do really is rely upon the monsters they encounter to make their meals. So you have these fantasy imaginary creatures like dragons or like goblin flank that are then being used to cook actual meals like ramen and just really delicious stuff so there's this fun juxtaposition between fantasy and reality when it comes to making real food that looks delicious out of these weird monsters and it's it's a creative idea it doesn't take itself too seriously it's very self-aware and knows when to poke fun at itself which i think is essential for a show like this it's having weekly releases on netflix that that's a big deal for a lot of people netflix has kind of been doing batch drops of episodes in the past which kind of allow stuff to get buried so it's a big deal that delicious and dungeon is doing weekly releases it's only a few into itself at this point so you can check it out without being super far behind and it's just really fun it's not a show that i expected to enjoy as much as i do but it's got the right mix of ingredients to really make a delicious meal Another show we'd like to highlight is Bukagiri. Bukagiri, again, takes a familiar anime trope about, like, the underdog loser who's not popular, he's not strong, he's not successful with the ladies. But what's different about this show is it pairs him together with a genie. Genies 
Not very common in anime. Not a lot of anime talking about genies, or jinn, for that matter, if you have a preference between these two entities. But Bukagiri, it takes its main character, it pairs him with a genie. The genie wants this kid to be really strong and conquer his demons. All this kid wants, though, is to use his genie wish to lose his virginity, which is a very anime premise uh, that might be a little cringe-worthy for some people or do some eye-rolling, but the show finds the right tone. It feels like very much like an 80s or 90s anime with its color palette and characters and motivations. It's done by MAPPA, who are arguably kind of spread thin at the moment, but they're turning out some of the most beautiful anime around right now. They do Jujutsu Kaisen, Chainsaw Man, Hell's Paradise, so it looks gorgeous on top of everything else, and Bukagiri is also just only a few episodes into itself. I'm not exactly sure where its larger story is going, but it seems like it's going to be a big deal. It seems like this is going to be one of the bigger shows of the year, and it's just exciting to see where this new show might be headed. So Bukagiri. And the last show we'd like to highlight for the big three is Dr. Stone New World. This is the third season of Dr. Stone. A fourth and final season has just been announced, so if you haven't seen any Dr. Stone before, this is the time to kind of binge through it all and be caught up to date before the final season comes out. Dr. Stone is a shonen anime, but it's kind of set in a wilderness version of the future. All of the world gets petrified and turned to stone. Thousands of years later, some of these characters come out of stone and they need to rebuild society pretty much. They don't have anything because the world has fallen apart and its main character, Senku Ishigami, He's not strong, but he has a brilliant mind. And basically, he uses his science intellect to build tools to kind of restart society, starting with the Stone Age and then the Bronze Age. And it's a really cool premise. You see so many shonen shows that put bronze and strength as the main thing, but this is a show that puts brains over bronze and turns like science into a superpower. It really reminded me of like the first few seasons of Breaking Bad where like Walter White is using science to MacGyver his way out of situations. This is very much like that. You do have characters that are strong and fight, but a lot of it is more about using science, using nature, and seeing how much of the natural world can build things. And it's just really cool. You have a bit of Lost in there too, between these like two warring factions in the wilderness that are competing to take over society and see who can do a better job. And it's just such a unique approach to shonen storytelling. So once again, for the big three, we have Delicious in Dungeon, Bukagiri, and Dr. Stone New World. Unfortunately, fellow Utaku, that's all the time we have in this episode before I get Izakai'd back to reality. Then Utaku would once again like to thank Mike McFarland, Monica Flatley, and Cassie Awulu for speaking about Metallic Rouge. And we'd also like to thank you, the audience, because without you, there's nothing. So just thank you guys. Thanks for being a part of this. And until next time, Space Cowboys.